Welcome to the e-commerce growth show brought to you by Segmentify. Thanks very much, Scott. And, and well, thank you for this. Uh, Eamons, I'm going to call him Eamons just to make it easy now. And I have been hosting this show in North America for, for about six, four months or five months uh, or so. And, you know, we're, we're um, always looking for thought leaders like yourself, people who can, who we can, you know, pick their brains and have a, a, a relaxed chat. So thank you for this. And I'm going to open the, the show here and uh, introduce you. I made, a, I made some notes. So what I was going to say is that just for context, Imuns and I, we're like Batman and, and Robin. <laughs> the show since, since last year. So, uh, yeah. Um, so, Scott, you're the partner and president of research uh, and strategy over at PSFK a leading research and insights and innovation firm that focuses on, focuses on retail and customer experience. So basically, uh, within the next 30 or 40 minutes, Scott and I would like to pick your brain on you know, what you guys are seeing in terms of shopping behavior and cover the retail trends uh, for 2021. I always start the show with the same uh, good old question, you know, give us the big picture um, and how did you land in the role that you're in today? Just a, a little bit of your journey, who you are, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thanks so much for, for having me and, uh, you know, thinking of PSFK in, in this context. I have been at PSFK now for, I should know this number, I think it's 12 plus years. And, sure. you know, over the, over the context of that time, we have researched a lot of different topics and, and, you know, as the business has evolved, we've found where our sort of sweet spot is. And for us, that is within, you know, we would say retail innovation, customer experience innovation, and, you know, brand innovation, I guess, in sort of all of its forms. For me, I think, um, you know, I was a, in, in some ways, both both good and bad, I was a Bachelor of Arts major in college, and I studied English and philosophy, which was great for critical thinking, not great for finding a job once I graduated. Um, <laughs> and eventually, kind of through hook or by crook, I found my way to PSFK. And I think for me, the thing that has sort of um, intersected with my interests is that desire to kind of constantly be looking at what's new and interesting, figuring how all that fits together from a sort of big picture point of view, and then trying to contextualize that for what, whoever the audience is. And, and I think for PSFK, one of the things that we say is our, our value proposition is that we always are trying to look for lateral inspiration and then apply that to um, whoever's asking the question. So if you're in the hospitality space, certainly you can learn from other folks that are doing the same thing, but um, it's helpful to look at what's happening in retail and what's happening in the wellness space or whatever the case is, and then trying to figure out where the sort of new and next things are happening rather than just following what everybody else is doing. So I'll kind of stop there and, um, you know, we can continue yeah. this conversation. Well, I, very... I, I'd jump in, I'd jump in Go for on. a second and say definitely agree with the lateral approach. I, you know, I think that the best inspiration, uh, you know, is found outside of, you know, kind of your own comfort zone, your own four walls. It, it was something that I believed in when I was at Neiman Marcus doing innovation there. 
uh, and, uh, you know, obviously, you know, in my time in that role, uh, you know, look to the kind of research that, that you guys are doing, as well as, uh, you know, the startups and, and other kind of new technology trends you were, you were discovering and, and, and sharing with the world, which uh, you know, I assume is still a very important part of what you guys do. Yeah, absolutely. We, we always are. And, and it's interesting because with, you know, anytime you're sort of looking at the cutting edge there's that sort of question about whether just because the technology's there is the consumer interest there is the business case there. But, you know, we, we always kind of preach this idea of businesses needing to be constantly kind of playing at the edges and experimenting anyways. So even if it's, you know, I know you guys did this at Neiman Marcus when you were there is that sort of experimentation mindset where, you look at things on a small scale and then figure out if it's going to, if it's going to be something that's going to resonate more broadly, bringing consumers along as part of that journey, employees, et cetera. So I think it's, I think that's where the, the, those two kind of pieces come together a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Scott, I'd love to explore a little bit more of your background and maybe learn even a bit more about the company itself. How many employees you guys uh, today? Because on LinkedIn, I think so, somewhere around 30. Yeah, exactly. We have, we're, we're fortunate enough to have the flexibility to be, um, you know, even before COVID, we were a bit of a distributed workforce and we have our sort of core competency within the context of the organization where, you know, I think classically we've called the folks that work at PSFK and particularly in my team strategists Although I don't know if that's exactly the right, it's, you know, we're, we're toying with this idea of analysts um, and, and trying to figure out how best to kind of, you know, delineate what it is that we do. But at, but at our heart, the, the core folks that work at PSFK are researchers who then are, um, you know, doing, you know, I, we always joke that we're reading the internet um, every day, and then trying to trying to categorize that within our own system, and then use that as a foundation for any questions that we get asked. As a business, we kind of do three key things. We have our sort of syndicated research platform where members sign up. Uh, there's very similar, um, you know, very similar competitors in the marketplace. We have access to a variety of research reports that sort of look at innovation across the, the customer journey, at um, across categories, across demographics, maybe a deep dive into technologies. People can ask us on-demand research questions. We bring that to life through an events business. Um, we have an upcoming event in June where we're gonna be looking at the omni-channel customer journey. And then we have a consultancy as well where you know, again, typically we're, we're looking at retail and customer experience innovation, but um, more broadly, we can go sort of into other areas of, of interest for, for companies as well. Um, but that's, that's really where our sort of bread and butter is, I would say. Um, how's, how's the appetite for retailers and brands to, to consume your services been through the pandemic? I mean, do you think it accelerated? It stayed about the same or something different? Um, 
I would say it's probably stayed about the same. I would imagine, and and my colleague Jeff, who runs our sort of membership side, would know better than I. But I think, you know, agent we we have a, an audience that's kind of part agencies that support the sort of brands and retailers, and then we have the brands and retailers themselves. I think agencies were hit the hardest probably out of everyone, and so their appetite for um, you know, sort of having an additional sort of subscription service has probably um, dipped a little bit, but then we've seen more uptick from, um, you know, the, the retailers and brand side of things. And then from a consulting point of view, we, I would say we probably remained steady, if not grew a little bit. I mean, obviously everyone was kind of struggling with the sudden shifts that were happening. And you know, I'm sure we'll get into this in terms of the broader conversation, but, you know, the organizations that had already had a lot of these sort of efforts already underway were the ones that have largely succeeded in the midst of everything. And then a lot of people were trying to play catch up. Um, obviously, that's, that's easier said than done. But a lot of what we found ourselves doing was helping organizations kind of look at their existing strategy as it might apply to say a customer journey, try to figure out where their strengths were, where there might be gaps and where they could potentially even get ahead of some of their key competitors in many ways. So, um, and, and I think the conversation that we have, the conversations that we've been having all are really sort of, you know, Omnichannel has been around for many, many years now, but really trying to figure out what that actually looks like. And then specifically for folks who have stores, what role the store has within the context of that Omnichannel journey as well. So um, you guys are well known uh, for your yearly future of retail report. So, you know, I, I, I think there, uh, you know, are some things there that are of interest to touch upon, uh, you know, as we chat uh, uh, today. Uh, and uh, when I was, uh, uh, you know, kind of going through the 2021 content, um, one of the things you talked about is, uh, you know, kind of define who best in class retailer and brands, you know, are the things they do. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of the points uh, that you made was uh, they best in class invest in people, systems and infrastructure, which which resonated with me because it, it, it felt like when I was with the big brand, you know, uh, uh, you know, back I, I left Neiman's, by the way, in 2018. But when I was with, you know, with those guys, um, that level of investment and convincing uh, kind of new investment, uh, especially in innovation, you know, stuff. Uh, was always, you know, was always tough, right? You know, there was only so many dollars to go around, uh, to be honest. So what do you, what, 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 what are you seeing? You know, uh, you, you know, I would say that it's, it's safe to say that you had, uh, you know, some brands and retailers that weren't investing enough before we got to the pandemic, then what happened? What do you see? Yeah. So, um, Great, great point. And thanks for referencing the report. Um, this year is just, just the provide a little bit more context. This year, we focused on this idea of resiliency or resilience um, in terms of 
a, a sort of mindset in in terms of you know and I mean it applies it applies across you know not only retail but just kind of business business in general but I think you know the the obviously the shock that hit everybody was the fact that you know physical you know large physical sales largely stopped unless you were an essential retailer and even in those contexts things were suddenly disrupted from so many points of view supply chain disruption um what did that mean for the folks working at the front line etc and i think with these sort of bigger investments in systems and things that take a long time to implement and then actually see the results kind of resonate from them um it's a harder thing for for organizations to kind of um, you know, go off and do because it's, um, you know, I mean, w- I was having a conversation with someone talking about the development and implementation of sort of, let's call it a best in class mobile app for a well-known home, home goods company. And from the moment that they started the, the research to when it was implemented, it was a two year journey ultimately. Yeah. Um, and, and I would assume the entire landscape had changed by the time they got to the end. Ex- exactly. Exactly. So, um, you know, this is, you know, there's the, the best time to start any of these, these projects is always sometime before you, you need them, but it's always things are to your point, things are always going to be changing along the way. And so I think there's that need for this sort of, long-term vision that is that is flexible, but still has that sort of North Star guiding, but then a lot more of these smaller kind of checkpoints along the way. Um, and, you know, I was having a, I, I also teach a class and I had somebody come in and speak and he was talking about um, ecosystems to my class. And he was saying, you know, to, to sort of build an ecosystem, it, it takes so many different parts to, to actually, you know, create an, an ecosystem. And if you try to just wait until the full thing is done, until you sort of launch that or bring it to the marketplace, then who knows what's going to happen once it sort of hits. And so he was talking about this notion of creating these modules that can sort of exist on their own, but then um, having the vision to think about how they connect together to sort of create a bigger experience. And I think the same thing holds true, whether you're talking about creating experience for customers or more importantly, having those sort of foundational elements in place from a sort of business point of view. And I think what we've seen more and more, especially over the past 12 months is those sort of operational pieces, things like knowing how much inventory you have and where it's available at what places are not sexy at all. But those, if you don't have those things ready and and sort of um, available, then all the other experiences that you're trying to create as a result of that sort of fall down. And so- It's kind of hard to do BOPUS if you don't know where your inventory is. Exactly, exactly. So, so I think for us, it's, um, you know, there's, there's always that rush to sort of like look at the shiny new object and say, okay, we need to now go and roll out a bunch of interactive screens within the context of our, 
you know, our physical stores, for example, but what is that really doing from a, you know, sort of business point of view? Again, what are you going to put on those screens? How does that change the, the sort of customer experience, et cetera, ra rather than thinking about, um, you know, everything that needs to happen sort of before, before that, which I think is where the transformation actually sort of takes place. I think that's really good information, you know, and I, I, I think that, you know, it's too easy to go get focused on the uh, AI driven auto delivery robot and forget that if you if you can't do all the table stake stuff, then none of the none of the sexy cutting edge stuff are, is actually possible. And then thinking about, uh, you know, some of the things you just said, you know, in terms of, of modularization of of capabilities and uh, you know, I, you know, I think a lot of that was about, you know, you know, being able to deliver pieces fast and timely, but, you know, before they're out of, you know, out of date, at least go try something, an MVP, right, uh, uh, of something. And, uh, you know, I think fortunately, right, you know, the, the, the not sexy infrastructure stuff, the cloud services and, uh, you know, uh, uh, the ability, uh, you know, to deliver, you know, kind of the IT stuff you have to have to do a lot of these experiences has, has, has gotten more agile, right, and more, uh, more flexible, as opposed to the, when I started, I started at even 16 years, you know, in 2003, and, you know, everything was out of our data center, and there was a mainframe in the center of that, uh, and any project that required, you know, actual, you know, data services took, months, if not years, right? Uh, uh, in some cases, depending on what the priorities were, which is, doesn't work in today's timeline. So there wasn't a question in there. I was just rambling. Sorry about that. Um, so, uh, you know, looking at, uh, I'll quickly talk about the other uh, uh, best in class features because I, I, I like all of them. Uh, you know, that includes extract key insights to guide decisions at every level. Uh, near and dear to my heart, I, you know, I started at Neiman's as a uh, data analyst for the product reporting team uh, and, and, and grew up in retail in that, in, in the data uh, uh, side of things. And, and so I'm a big believer that those insights, uh, you know, are what help you drive better relationships with your customers. You also, uh, you guys talk about uh, and, uh, embracing a culture of uh, experimentation, uh, which certainly goes hand in hand with what I was doing with innovation and really became my, my signature career <laughs> move was to, you know, get into that, that innovation side of things. And, and in fact, it ruined me uh, uh, and from, you know, being able to actually do regular IT infrastructure stuff <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> after that, because I kind of caught the bug like you did about the, you know, uh, trying to, you know, figure out what's next, right? And what was the next big thing? And, and how do we get ahead of the curve uh, with that stuff? So, you know, I think good information uh, for your readers uh, that, uh, that uh, you know, have a look uh, uh, at this report. So um, one of the things you guys talk about is shopper priorities and, and the evolution, uh, the accelerated evolution really uh, during the pandemic. Um, so, you know, we're, we're sitting in a new place today where things are kind of starting to reopen, right? And, uh, uh, you know, for fully vaccinated folks, it, you know, may be comfortable now to actually go back to the grocery store uh, as, as opposed to delivery or, or curbside, you know, uh, uh, as an example. Um, and, uh, you know, I think there is pent up demand and it's not just for retail, right? It's for travel and hospitality and, you know, a ton of, a ton of stuff that people are just 
sick and tired of sheltering in place and this is all going to explode uh i think so so what's going to happen with all these uh great new uh, innovations that we you know came up with during the pandemic as the ability to physically go places again kind of comes back well, it's a great it's a great question um you know i think just to sort of go back to your original point like or or one of your sort of early points is, you know, my parents who are in their 70s were downloaded the Walmart app at the sort of height of the pandemic and were doing curbside grocery pickup and they never would have considered doing that prior. And yeah. so suddenly you have, you know, the audience that was already sort of gravitating towards those things before any of this happened. And then a whole host of new folks that, um, you know, got on to the convenience of shopping online. And so I suspect that we're going to, we're going to reach some sort of a balance. I mean, the, the astronomical rise of e-commerce, you know, I think I was seeing something in the first three months, um, e-commerce sales grew like 33% or something like that. And I can't remember what the, um, you know, where we're at as a total percentage of sales, but it's, you know, the, the growth has been astronomical. And, you know, I, I don't see that fully going back to where it was by any means. I think there is now a bigger appetite than ever, and it just makes it harder for retailers and brands is that people want the, the desire to shop in the way that's going to be the most convenient based on whatever it is you're looking to sort of achieve at that moment is more so than ever. So the digital only journey where you buy things um, through an e-commerce site is, you know, still going to happen. And the expectation that you're going to get that at your home in, you know, one day or even same day, um, you know, continues to grow. I think where the innovation is happening is that what that e-commerce experience looks like and the types of services that people can then offer. Um, you know, I think for us, one of the big things to, to sort of happen was that sort of hybridized version of, you know, just shopping in general, but in an online context, suddenly you have these interactive elements where you can shop one-on-one -on -one with an expert or a virtual advisor, um, in your home and maybe they're actually sitting in a physical store and they're showing you product and maybe you're showing them the things that are already in your closet or in your home or whatever the case is. And it creates this really intimate sort of one-to-one -one connection, which can happen totally online or it can drive you into that physical store. Certainly um, there is also that sort of shift from, let me do 90% of my shopping online and then I'll get that all set up to be picked up in the store or in a curbside context. And then that 10 or 15 minutes or half hour that I would have otherwise had to browse the aisles, um, you know, now I have more time in the store to, you know, actually have an appointment or take a class or do all, you know, do all these other things. So I think that's quite interesting to me is just the how saving people time up front can then create a better experience in a sort of physical store environment and what you can begin to offer there. 
I think some of that appointment shopping within a physical context is really interesting. Preloading the dressing room or gra grabbing a few items that you know that that shopper is coming in and interested in looking at and then having that one-to-one -one interaction in that context. Then, you know, again, sort of the that that sort of in-store journey, I think has, there's still the, there's, there's going to be consumers who are going to want to kind of have the convenience of the store, but bypass any of the time that they actually spend there. Um, and so the new services that sort of crop up around that, where it's almost like a drive-through experience where you've ordered things ahead of time and then you come and pick them up. As I just mentioned, those folks that want to have a little bit more of that personalized experience, but um, you know, have done more of the upfront planning of that trip. And then, um, you know, even sort of thinking about then the, the way that the store supports all, all of those journeys from a logistical point of view, which I think now we're seeing is the, the physical store is now an extension of the digital shopping journey in, in all ways, but specifically from a sort of fulfillment or logistical point of view where having that inventory understanding and having the, um, the sort of staff available to help um, pick orders and things like that, and then be that much closer to the consumer so that you can offer these um, you know, faster, more efficient kind of ways of getting them the product, I think is, is quite interesting. I, I still think, you know, just, I was reading recently, um, you know, Walmart has certainly been one of the big success stories of uh, the past 12 months and their single biggest um, employee growth has happened around what they call their personal shoppers. And these are literally folks who are walking the aisles and picking um, online orders and getting them ready to either be shipped out or, or picked up at the store. Um, and that's a completely sort of new way of thinking about the role that the store, that the store kind of plays within the, that journey in some ways. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a competitive advantage for them, but then also I think, um, you know, from an employee perspective, I don't know how there, there's a whole new set of tools and, you know, skills, let's say that are required to, um, you know, do that efficiently. And so it, that, then it creates that next sort of like, okay, we need X, Y, and Z as a part of this too. So, um, I, Short answer is things will find things will find a balance, but I think that from a from a business point of view, the 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 need will be to meet all of these different consumer desires for shopping and do so, you know, and offer best in class around those, which is obviously a cha a challenge. Yeah. So, and you know, I guess that whole. You know, when we think about the harmonized thing, I, I, I use the Steve Dennis term, or, or that's what I use, harmonized, as opposed to omnichannel. Mm -hmm. And he pays me a commission every time I use it. So there's that. <laughs> the, uh, uh, you know, and I, I, I'm going to, a quick shameless self-promotion, you know, you, you're, the, the stuff you're talking about, about digital personal shoppers and 
you know, scheduling and, 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 and all this stuff. Uh, you know, my current gig at PowerFront, that's what we do, you know, is enable, you know, sell a platform that enables that. So definitely I'm a believer in that because I'm trying to sell those <laughs> solutions uh, uh, to retailers. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, I think that really was a great place to be, especially during the pandemic. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think it requires a pandemic to be useful. Right. You know, that it's 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 what you're saying about the time savings and, uh, you know, kind of now that I have the same situation with my mother, by the way, who, you know, orders her groceries online and has them delivered and, and stuff that I never would have believed she would do uh, 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 now. Right. Uh, you know, out of necessity. Um, I, I'm not going back to shopping for staples. Right. You know, for that, you know, kind of everyday stuff that you have to replenish and over and over again, uh, you know, uh, to me, what, what, what would require a trip to the store is the treasure hunt, right? That's, you know, which is a different kind of shopping. Um, uh, you know, when I want to, I don't really know what I want and I need to go kind of explore what the, the possibilities are. Even if, you know, whether that's the hardware store or the, you know, or the boutique, you know, the fashion boutique, uh, you know, whatever it is uh, uh, that I'm looking for. You know, when you, when you think about innovations, you know, that were enablers during the pandemic, like curbside and contactless delivery and, and those sorts of things. Um, really, it's not, none of that's new, right? None of that was new stuff uh, uh, at all. So uh, I, I think you alluded to earlier in the conversation that there were some folks that were behind, you know, that had to, you know, sort of speedily figure out how to turn all that on uh, quickly. Who, who did some things that were truly unique beyond curbside and con you know, contactless that you saw? It's a good question. I think one of the things I was thinking about when, um, when, you, were, when you were sort of talking is, you know, in some ways, e-commerce has always been the sort of utility side of shopping, which is kind of what you hinted at. You know, if these are things that I don't really need to think about, maybe I do that, you know, sort of, I know what I want. And so I just constantly am replenishing or some automated services replenishing things for me. Where physical retail has always excelled is at that sort of emotional and sort of sensorial, let's say, kind of connection and then obviously the social and things like that. Um, I think there's a big push for brands to start or and or retailers to start thinking about expertise within the context of their stores in particular. And obviously, um, you know, as we just talked about, you can you can offer that in a in a digital context as well. But we saw companies like Rite Aid, who is now has has sort of gone through a rebrand over the past six months or so, um, is in the process of updating a bunch of its stores. You know, obviously within the pharmacy space, you in general you have the Rite Aids and the CVSs, etc., all trying to take a bigger piece of this like wellness health kind of consumer. And what Rite Aid is doing is positioning their pharmacists at the center of that store experience, which I think is, is super interesting and making them more of a core component of the overall journey of, uh, of a customer. And, you know, particularly in the U S where the healthcare system is problematic at best, um, 
to have somebody who's more of a regular touch point for a consumer. And then that's where you can start to bring in some of that data, what you know about them from not only the prescriptions they're taking, but perhaps um, other health metrics that they might be sharing within the context of a visit or whatever, then you can start to have a more of a value-based and long-term conversation with, with a customer, which I think is really interesting. Um, REI is another brand that, or, or retailer that um, has done some, some interesting things. They're in the process of trialing a number of new store types that are very focused and, and localized to, so in Montana, it's all about the ski and snowboard culture. Um, in another market, it might be about bicycling or whatever. And so they have tailored the experiences that happen within the store based on the focus and the merchandise and who that consumer likely is. And I'm sure they've done a bunch of testing to kind of figure that out. And so it's that sort of expert and service focused approach um, within those stores. And then they too are experimenting with bringing that same experience into an online context. Um, and so again, having these appointments with virtual shoppers and sort of getting them up to speed on the things that they should be thinking about. Obviously it's a great time to be an outdoors retailer um, still. No kidding. So, yeah, no kidding. so um, you know, they come to mind. I'm trying to think of um, anyone else that I've read about recently. I'm sure as soon as, as soon as our conversation's over, I'll have a million others. I, <laughs> I think, um, you know, Beauty Counter comes to mind. Um, We're seeing huge interest in beauty. Beauty is, is going crazy. And they've got, yeah. money to, they've got money to throw at the problem. So Exactly. And so Beauty Counter opened a brand new store in Los Angeles. And they're, again, it's sort of this hybrid experience where they've specifically built a studio within the context of that show, that store showroom that can be used by both employees and potentially influencers to broadcast sort of live streams out to an, an at-home audience. Um, I think the space is big enough that they can host sort of hybrid, so in-person and live stream events at the same time, um, you know, creates a lot of amazing content and then encourages people to come into the store. And, and I think to your point, Scott, beauty is quite interesting and i know um you know their big challenge is figuring out how to do sort of like testing within the context of the store um and and things of that nature but you, you look have at things a, like what ulta is doing with uh, you know they bought they bought glam street and I, th I think they call it glam lab now uh but uh you know they're using that virtual try on tech right as an example yeah, so I think, you know, I think all of these, all of these sort of like hybrid experiences are, are quite, are quite interesting to me. And again, sort of recognizing how you, um, you know, how you can, you know, in the case of some of the, some of those experiences I've talked about, it's like, you have the, the employee who can sort of be serving, you know, multiple audiences. And obviously you can, you have to figure out how that logistically works, but, um, and, you know, that's just creating more value within the context of, of that store, of that store environment. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any, who, who else, um, 
has done really interesting things. I, Well, I, I, I will say that the the pharmacy example was a really good one. You know, I, I you know that really you know when you started talking about that, I was thinking, yeah, you know what, my pharmacy didn't really have very good customer service until like now, <laughs> where where they notify me and they've done all kinds of things to make it easy to get my stuff and uh, auto refill and stuff that they just didn't do before. It's just better. Uh, well, I thought it was and, a great example. Yeah. You know, the, and Amazon is the big elephant in the room there. You know, I mean, they're trying to, again, take take everything about the pharmacy and sort of put it in an, in an online context. So I think all of these, uh, these, these brick and mortar pharmacies see that they need to provide more value. And then, you know, again, what's what's been interesting is because they're now trying to sort of step in and, and be part of the vaccine rollout, they're getting all this amazing data from people who are signing up, whether or not they were existing customers, they have email addresses, et cetera. And so they can potentially use that for their shopper marketing and to sort of say, hey, remember us? Um, so they're pretty well positioned. And I think like that health conversation is gonna be important for the foreseeable future right now, so. Let's, uh, and, and, I, I want to pause for one second because uh, I have a weather alarm going off in the other room, which hopefully is not going to bleed over into the audio, but I'm going to go turn it off. I've got thunderstorms okay. we're going to roll through here. So give me a second. They can edit this little portion out and then uh, uh, I'll be right back. Just take me one second. <laughs> uh, what time is it in New York, Scott? It's a uh, quarter to two right now. Right. Yeah. Perfect. What, uh, what yeah, time I'm in Brazil? Denmark. I'm actually in Denmark. So it's, oh, you're uh, in Denmark. Yeah. I was in Brazil first. Uh, well, actually, I was in Denmark, then I'll go, then I'll back. back. <laughs> uh, never, a quarter we to never two. know where Carlos is. He's. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I was I was I was pinging him yesterday to you know ask him some questions about the interview today, and he was like, "I'm asleep," and I was like, "I thought it was in Brazil," and I was like, "Well, oh, are are, are you back?" <laughs> yeah, so it was like his midnight when I was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right back to the to the episode. Um, what I was gonna is about. I mean, it's part of the things that you guys are talking. Maybe maybe try to. To get a um, to have another angle, the main uh, trends in, in that you're seeing of social uh, brands becoming human selling. You know, like we Brazil, there was a there are some interests that maybe I can also contribute. There's a a, a brand selling chocolate, you know, just stuff, and they're doing a lot of live. And they did hey, hey, really Carlos, well. Carlos, I want to. I'm going to interrupt a second because because it's pretty choppy. I don't know if uh, Scott's catching the whole question or not. Yeah, I'm ha I'm I'm doing my best to listen in, but it's come it's coming in a little bit choppy for me. Yeah, your oh. uh, your, your connection is sort of degraded a bit on us, Carlos. Weird. Better now. It's it seems better. Better? Can you? Yeah. 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 So I, I think what, you know, we got the gist of you were going to uh, look for, you had a chocolate company example that you were going to ask Scott. Well, yeah. 
I was I was I was going to ask about the trends that you uh, Scott in brands having to be more human. I think that's a global trend in terms of social selling. It's also not new. I business developed forever, and we've this term social selling was coined by Lynn, but it become it became, um, quite well known nowadays because everyone was either on LinkedIn or having. You know, this is the only way of, of selling, right? Uh, live selling, and I, I wanted to tell you about some of these trends that you're seeing or that you've seen in, in the research. So the example I gave is about this chocolate in Brazil, and they being a lot of live selling to survive, and they managed well, you know. So basically, you can go on website there's a there there's an area there where say well there's some live here and then you have the clerk whatever the seller making a presentation of the amazing chocolate you know uh new stuff that they have and he's interacting with the audience it's quite quite i mean innovative right and and it managed to to survive and they're doing really well so i like this, to carlos is this yeah. is this one to many? Is this live streaming that you that your example? Well, uh, is, is it one is it one on one or is it one per one clerk talking to many customers? And talking to many customers, but you can also okay. enter. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it's it's essentially the core. Uh, you know, the question then is, you know, this live streaming phenomena, you know, that we're now seeing, uh, which is another thing that I sell, by the way. So there's a lot of self promotion. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this live streaming thing, especially, you know, once it sort of just knocked it out of the park in China, right, you know, now the rest of the world's all figured out, oh, we should be doing that, right? You know, so I'm sure you have some insights for us on that, Scott. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, live streaming is certainly quite interesting. I think it's still within the context of the U.S. market, it's still trying to figure out exactly, um, you know, where the right way to do it, how to encourage the biggest audience, et cetera. I think just sort of digital selling in general, I would say what we're seeing is that, um, you know, businesses now have to look at where their consumers are already kind of spending their time and figure out where, where best on what platform to sort of encourage that, that sort of audience and how to engage them in the best way. So certainly, social and then as a sort of subset of that the live stream piece is is quite interesting i think for businesses that are trying to sort of experiment with that kind of early on i think though that it that it needs to be super compelling for that audience and so whether that's a you know a new product offering or a or a limited edition sort of launch um, you know, one of the companies that that we've seen that we think is quite interesting is a company called Network that has sort of approached it from a we'll bring in influencers from the sort of like streetwear um, sort of space and then pair them with a product drop and then turn this into sort of a talk show format. And so it's kind of combining all of these elements together into a live selling experience and it's generally speaking you know one product or or a handful of products rather than a, a sort of full range and it's 
um, you know, a specialized enough kind of approach that you're, you're attracting a, a sort of broad, broader audience. Um, you know, I know that, um, you know, and, and the things that I love about live stream is it is, it's that one to many context you have, um, you know, potentially a, an influencer, perhaps a celebrity, or maybe even somebody who is, um, you know, a sort of brand ambassador from within the context of the brand. Founder, founder CEO, somebody it's, like that. Yeah, exactly. Who, um, you know, provides a lot more information and detail around that product. You can bring in education as a part of that. There's a whole level of sort of interactivity that can begin to happen. Um, you know, if, if with some capabilities, you can even sort of, um, you know, again, going back to that beauty space, you maybe can layer in digital try-on and things like that. So, um, you know, more enhanced capabilities in, in that context, which I think is, which I think is quite interesting. The, the challenge right now is that um, there's still some education that has to happen around the consumer. It's still a pretty fractured um, landscape right now in terms of the various platforms and, and things like that. And so I think it's, um, it requires a lot of sort of planning and thoughtfulness in terms of making sure that you're going to have the most impactful, um, you know, let's say stream and encourage them the biggest number of consumers. The other thing that I would say is I was just reading an article yesterday um, about Home Depot, who is sort of approaching that from the standpoint of instead of in a selling context, they're doing it in an education context. So typically at some of their stores, they might offer a workshop that encourages- How to build a birdhouse. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, from a, from a business point of view, previously they had maybe done four or five of those across their network of stores over the course of a month. Now in an online context, they're doing more like 40 or 50. Um, and in terms of their numbers, they're specifically trying to keep them small and interactive. So they're, you know, the, the article suggested that they get hundreds of people. And I guess it's, I guess in that case, you know, that number doesn't sound like a lot to me, but if it's a high level of, of interaction and it's sort of maybe tied into a loyalty program or something like that, that that's successful for them and perhaps they can use that content elsewhere. And so I just think like with any of these things, there needs to be, um, you know, realistic sort of uh, metrics or targets that you're sort of looking to achieve. And then, you know, if you want to get 10,000 people, then that way of approaching live streaming is going to be very different than if That's you want tough. to be, yeah. It's tough know. to get 10,000 people, by the way, I can tell you. Exactly. I'm sure. I'm sure. So um, I, 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 a couple of things we've learned, you know, offering the service, you know, I, you know, I can tell you that uh, the production values matter and it's, it's more than just throwing a mobile device and, you know, having somebody record themselves selling product. You need to, you need to have, uh, the right camera angles, you know, uh, you know, it'd be useful to have someone that's operating the camera part of it, you know, uh, as opposed to the, you know, the actual presenter. Uh, gimbal kind of devices are helpful if you're going to be showing product, uh, you know, having the right microphone so you can hear the person and not relying on the built-in mic uh, on the device. Those are all critical little things that, you know, I think folks that are dabbling in this miss 
and they and and so you know you're not getting the best uh, experience. Uh, you know, we we were fortunate to have our first big live stream customer be Gucci. So guess what? It had to be perfect and it had to look awesome. So I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. Know, we learned we, we learned a lot uh, uh, by doing that. And then the other thing I I'd, I'd, I'd mentioned because you talked about it several times, and that is you know the size of the audience. It turns out that the live audience is not the critical part of this. It's the ability to make it available for replay and for the experience of the replay to be as good as the live version, because you'll get most of your audiences on the replay. Interesting. Yeah, yeah that's true. I, I mean, it's a good point. Cause I think like the assumption, you know, and, and I think we're seeing this just more sort of broadly now is that, you know, even with people's approach to kind of remote work is, this shift towards asynchronous where, you know, you're, you know, you have to enable there to be collaboration perhaps in, you know, different time zones and things like that. So I think also people are programmed to sort of want to experience content on the schedule that they, that they want it. And so being able to create a great experience, even if it's not quote unquote live, I think is, um, you know, is really important. So I've got, um, I, I'm looking at the clock going, oh my gosh, what happened? Uh, you know, because uh, I've got like two or three more pages of notes of stuff, you know, I wanted to talk to you about. So we're going to have to have you back uh, uh, at some point, number one, because there's a lot more uh, to dive into, uh, I think. Uh, you know, one of the things, uh, you know, that I ran into when I was doing research, uh, you know, for today's conversation uh, was, uh, uh, you know, I was looking at, you know, some of your thoughts on AI and, and virtual uh, digital, you know, kind of try on stuff, uh, because that was something I, I played with a lot when I was at Neiman. So it's very, you know, of great interest to me. Uh, and, uh, you know, I saw this, uh, uh, this product uh, that was called Super Personal that I wasn't aware of. Uh, I'd worked with a company called ZKit that did sort of a a still image version. Mm. Uh, and then I saw the super personal thing that, you know, was looked like, you know, it was on a, a, like a video image, right? A virtual try on of my head and something that looks like my body, you know, trying on clothes. And I was like, oh, that is cool. Let me go look at that. And their website doesn't function. So do you, do you know what happened to those guys? Because it was, it was I amazing. They, I thought they were still around. It's interesting because we're doing some work right now for a Silicon Valley company who's interested in understanding 20 years from now what the sort of commerce landscape is going to look like. And you know, one of the things that we're sort of toying around with is this idea that, and, and this ties in directly to this idea of super personal, is that, you know, obviously the challenge for online shopping is that people, you know, especially in a fashion context or beauty context, you know, you can't, you can't try on clothing to see how it fits, how it's going to move, et cetera. And what super personal is trying to do is essentially create digital avatars of uh, individuals that they then can sort of carry through, you know, their shopping experience. And, you know, we're sort of big on that as a, sort of tool or a, a capability or an expectation from consumers that, you know, especially as we kind of begin to, you know, live, especially, you know, maybe not you and I, Scott, but, you know, the, the younger generations, like 
living in the same, I look the same every time you see me. So if you can just, if an avatar of me in a black shirt, then you got it down. That's yeah. But uh, you know, as as we live in these virtual worlds, then you know we have these sort of avatars that that you know quote unquote sort of represent us. But you know, if you can then translate that into a shopping context where we have our lifelike digital avatar that um, you know is how we experience things within a digital context, then why not be able to then you know try on clothes or you know even like you know, live in your virtual home and, you know, re, you know, test out furniture and things like that. Like, I think it's, I mean, that's quite far future forward, but it's, it's interesting to consider that as that, that far flung way of solving some of these challenges, because obviously like the, the return situation that's happening with, um, you know, digital purchases and, you know, people, getting things home, trying it on, they don't like it, it doesn't fit, whatever the case is, it's a huge cost for, for I anybody. watch it happen every day here when my wife shops, orders online, I can witness it live. Because more exactly. goes back than stays, that's you know, for sure. You yeah. try multiple, you try multiple, um, you know, sizes, and then, you know, maybe you keep one, maybe you don't keep any of them. It's, yeah. And, and yes, to your point, Carlos, like the Ready Player One, it is like this, you know, kind of mirror world of what exists now. I do think to some extent that's quite interesting. Um, and so, you know, that that kind of digital twin that exists in the manufacturing marketplace is, I think, has a parallel with, you know, all items to some extent. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of work to get there, but um, I, I was I think, reading. Yeah, I think we're on the, like, especially when you look at the, the, the maybe I touched on um, Netflix and Disney. And I don't know, when you look at this platform, think about the commerce future and, and gaming. We're just talking, when we talk about all of that, it's all uh, intertwined uh, somehow. Uh, and you add uh, influencers in the mix of that. I think that's that's how moving forward. Sorry, up to you. Yeah, for your you know for your future uh, as a digital persona, Carlos, you're going to have to get better internet. That's my <laughs> that's my uh, commentary on it. So Perfect. We'll do. Scott, we want to we want to be mindful of your time. You know, we've been at this uh, you know for almost an hour now. So. Uh, uh, you know, I think this is a good stopping point. And uh, like I said, I, I think there's a lot more, you know, that, you know, uh, of insight you could provide. And, and so we'd love to have you again down the road uh, uh, when you have a spare moment. And, and we both, Carlos and I, really appreciate you taking the time uh, uh, today uh, to share some of your thoughts and insights. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Scott, Carlos, thank you so much. Um, obviously, I, I can talk once once prompted. So um, hopefully this was useful and appreciate you guys uh, inviting me on and, and thinking of PSOK. So thanks so much. All right, man. Thank you. Thanks. Happy Friday. Enjoy your weekend. Likewise, you guys as well.